Welcome to Life Bridge Online. Whenever it is that you are watching this or listening to this, we are grateful that you are allowing us to come into your life, to be part of your world, uh, to be part of your family. Maybe you are worshiping at home with your family this morning on the couch. We are grateful that you are allowing us to be part of your life. And we want you to know, especially if you are our uh, LifeBridge family uh, who is still at home, quarantining, uh, social distancing, keeping it safe, we want you to know that we miss you and we continue to pray for you. And we can't wait till we can gather together again at, at events, at uh, uh, fellowship activities. Uh, one of the ways that you can engage with us and we're trying to do a better job engaging with you is by going to our LifeBridge uh, Facebook page and under groups, you're gonna find the LifeBridge Facebook community. Uh, this is a private group. You do have to have permission for this, but we would love for you to join this group. Now, this is just one of the steps that we're taking to better engage and interact with people who are watching these videos and participating online, uh, but yet we, we've not been able to connect with them. And so some of the things that we're gonna be doing in this group are having uh, shared prayer times together, uh, we're going to be having videos and, and teachings, uh, conversations about uh, scripture memorization and meditation practices. Uh, we're going to be talking about upcoming events. Uh, you're going to be included in part of our very sermon team that helps write and craft and give ideas towards sermons. And so we encourage you, go ahead, go to our Facebook, and check this out, join our group, and allow us to continue to minister to you through this platform. Let's pray, and then we're going to get into our topic today. Father, we love you. We thank you for this. Uh, thank you for this opportunity. That God, your word is so powerful, and you are so powerful that that no matter what we're doing right now, you can speak into our life. And so, Father, I pray that uh, whether we're sitting on the couch focused on you or if there's other tasks going on around us, uh, if we're participating in other things, that, God, this just will not be some monotone voice that we hear. But, Lord, we will hear from you this morning. That, that as we read Scripture, as we talk about your Word, as we talk about these two very influential Bible figures, Jesus and David, that, God, we can model our lives after them in some capacity. And on this journey of life, we can just grow, we can mature to become more like you. So, God, use your word to speak into our lives today. We ask these things in your son's name. Amen. So if you have been following along with our sermon series, we are in week eight already of a 52-week journey. It seems just like yesterday we started this. And every week, it's something different for me personally, something different that impacts me. Uh, you know, the scripture memorization, I'm trying my best to memorize all the scripture passages, and some are easier than others. Those are, those are beneficial. The meditation is, is beneficial because of, of what it does. It forces me to stop. It forces me to just kind of pause life for a few minutes and listen to the Word of God. The passage reading is good. The essays are very informative. You know, Dr. Moore, uh, Mark Moore is who 
Core 52 is, is the author of this Core 52 that we're reading. He is an excellent teacher. And I'm just curious, if you were reading along in the Core 52 book this past week, did, did you learn anything from his essay? I, I knew, uh, as he started talking about the genealogy of Jesus, I knew that it was broken into three groups of 14. Um, guilty. I've never bothered to count. Um, anyone else ever go ahead and count to make sure that there were 14 sections of three? Or were you just reading along and you're just saying, hey, Matthew is a tax collector. He's a numbers guy. He has this. But as Mark Moore pointed out, there's 13 names in the group from David to the exile of, of Babylon. Now, we're not going to get into the explanation here, but I want to encourage you, if you missed that reading, go back and read this week because there's a, there's a lot of information about the Hebrew language and, and the culture that applies to kind of what we're talking about and the role of David as he is seen big picture with God. Here's another detail, though, that I've missed from this genealogy. And it is the first verse of the first book in the New Testament. It's Matthew 1.1. I've read this time and time again. I've never paid attention to it before. This is a record of the ancestors of Jesus the Messiah, a descendant of David and of Abraham. Now, Matthew is a Jew, and he's writing this from a Jewish perspective. And, and his, he is listing this, he is listing the figures in importance according to the Jewish faith. So you have Jesus the Messiah, then you have David, then you have Abraham. And we know from our reading this week that David, as God's chosen earthly king over Israel, foreshadows the coming of the true king, Jesus. And like Moses the prophet, the life of David does have some similarities to the life of Jesus. These, these figures that just keep popping up repeatedly throughout the course of the Old Testament and then you read into the New Testament, man, it's important that we understand and we know that these similarities, they have, also, they have something in common. They're, they're pointing to something bigger and they are important. And so Jesus, as we talked a couple of weeks ago, he was compared to Moses as a prophet. And when we looked at that role from the, the, the thought process of what is a prophet and what that meant for Moses and his life to foreshadow Jesus' coming as prophet, Jesus is also compared to David as king. And, and I was astounded when I started studying the similarities that they share a lot of similarities when it comes to just their life. Look at some of these right here. Okay, I want to share these with you. Both Jesus and David were born in Bethlehem. And that's not coincidence. That, that, that was something that needed to happen. And study it, read it for yourself. It's important. That David was appointed king by God. We talked about that last week. Jesus was born king and he was sent to earth by God. So there's that kingship connection. David was a shepherd who became king. Jesus 
is king and became a shepherd. David was anointed king, but he did not take the crown until God allowed it to happen. Almost 20 years. Jesus is king, but he refuses to reign as king before God's timing is allowed. David brought peace and security to the nation and the land of Israel. Jesus brings peace and security to those who allow him to reign in their hearts. God was pleased with both Jesus and David. David was 30 years old when he became king. Jesus began his ministry at 30. David reigned over Jerusalem for 33 years. Jesus lived for 33 years. David gathered the social outcast, the despised, and he brought them into his kingdom. Jesus spent most of his time with the social outcast, those who were despised, and he invited them to be part of his kingdom. You could go on. That was a list of 10 or 11 things that, that these two figures, separated by a little over a thousand years, have in common. And they're both king. One was king to a nation. The other is king to any person, you and I, who will allow him to rule in their heart. So why point out these similarities? Like what's, what's the importance of this? What does this even mean for you and I today? That's a good question because I found myself studying these just as I did a few weeks ago with Moses. It's like, why? Why, why do we need to know that, that the numbers and the facts and the details of birth, why is that important to my life today? And here's where I landed on this. As I'm sitting here and I'm studying these facts, I take encouragement from knowing that God is working things out all the time. It's almost 1,100 years difference between David's kingship and Jesus coming to earth. And everything that God was doing with David, all these little minute details that we could read over and not pay any attention to, they were all foreshadowing of something bigger and greater to come. And here's the deal. Michael gets in a tizzy. You know what? I get into a little bit of a tizzy when God doesn't remove a virus that I'm praying and begging and pleading, as you are and many thousands of people are, from getting rid of it from this world within 15 days or 14 days or whatever it is. Like we've been praying and praying and praying and, and, and we prayed because we got to flatten the curve a year ago and we're praying that God removes this virus and we're here we are a year later and it's still lingering. It's still here. It's still on the front page all over the place. It's still an active part of our life. And I'm over here like, God, we've prayed to you. We've asked you, remove this. And yet here it is. I get frustrated when God doesn't do things as I want them done within the time frame that I want them done. But here's the reality and the encouragement. When I look at the similarities of David a thousand years before Jesus, 
God is working. And he's not just working and just allowing things to happen. He has a plan. And when you look at how God works historically, his timing of things is usually slower than what I want. But the big picture of what God is doing should encourage us. He does these things that we can't see and we can't understand on our level with our eyes and with our understanding. And we think through some of our studies so far. God promised Abraham that he would be a great nation. Abraham never saw that. He told Moses that he was going to lead God's people out of Egypt, out of slavery, out of bondage, and he was going to set them up into this promised land where they would be established as a holy nation. Moses never saw that. He told David, the king, <laughs> he told David, the king of this mighty nation, I'm going to establish your throne forever. And David did not get to witness that. Pointing out these similarities between Moses and Jesus or David and Jesus is a reminder that our sovereign God is working. And what he did in the life of all of those obedient servants had generational impact. That's certainly the case with David. Everything that God is doing in the life of Moses had generational impact. It impacted David. Everything that God was doing with Abraham impacted Moses. And everything that David did had generational impact where Jesus could come on the stage, he could come on the scene, and, and the foundation is laid. Their obedience has an impact on our life today. The faith of Abraham and the obedience that he demonstrated has an impact on our life today. The same with Moses, the same with David. And if God is preparing the way, if he's impacting you through Moses and David via Jesus, who is he preparing the way for through you? Like, like that's, that's the question that comes to my mind. As I think through, man, God used David, he used the shepherd to be his king, to prepare the way for generations to come. Who is he doing and how, who can he impact through my life? What impact can a surrendered life to Jesus have on generations to come? Let's go back to David for a second. Look at these two verses from 2 Samuel where God is talking to David essentially about his legacy. 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 12. Hopefully this is familiar to you. For when you die and are buried with your ancestors, I will raise up one of your descendants, your own offspring, and I will make his kingdom strong. 2 Samuel 7, 16, a few verses later, your house and your kingdom will continue before me for all time and your throne will be secure forever. This is God telling David, 
That because of the things in his life and, and who he is as a man, that his throne, his reign, his influence is going to last forever. And I'm not proclaiming today that your legacy will be as great as David's because this is God speaking directly to David. However, there are some things that I believe we can learn from David that I do believe will lead to your life having an impact on generations to come. Acts 13.22, Paul is preaching and he references the message that God shared with Samuel about David. We talked about this a lot last week. This is just Paul reciting it thousand plus years later. Verse 22 of Acts 13, but God removed Saul and replaced him with David, a man about whom God said, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. The man God chose to have generational impact for his kingdom was someone who is seeking the king's heart. Like, like, I want you to think through this for a second. I want, you to, I want you to hear what I'm saying here. God had this man, David, born of very humble beginnings. He was a shepherd. And he said, because of who you are, because of your heart, I'm going to use you. And you're going to have generational impact. A thousand years passes. And all the kings that followed David they were compared to David. Like, like David was the, the great that people had to follow. And so Solomon was next in line. And he was compared to his father. And so on and so forth. They were all compared to David to the point that Paul, 1,100 years later, is bringing up and making the emphasis that David was this guy who was after God's own heart. And he was still having an impact on lives. So I think there's some things to learn from David. I, I, maybe you and I don't have the generational impact and, and the legacy that David had. But can we learn some things from David that will lead us to having generational impact? That will lead us to influencing more than just our nuclear family, more than just our grandchildren. And so David had this. So last week we talked about this generational, we talked about David and this passion that he had. That's what being a man after God's own heart looks like. It's somebody that is passionate about God. And I want to break that down a little bit more. I want to break that down into three things real quick. We're almost done. Three things that David was passionate about as it pertains to God and being a man after God's own heart. And I think that these are the things that we can learn that when applied and lived out in our life will lead us to also having generational impact. Three things. The first is God's fame. David was concerned about promoting God and giving God credit. Look at the end of David's life. 1 Chronicles 29. I'm going to read verses 10 through 14 and then jump to 20. 1 Chronicles 29, 10. Then David praised the Lord in the presence of the whole assembly. O Lord, 
the God of our ancestor Israel, may you be praised forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness, the power, the glory, the victory, and the majesty. Everything in the heavens and on earth is yours, O Lord, and this is your kingdom. We adore you as the one who is over all things. Wealth and honor come from you alone, for you rule over everything. Power and might are in your hand. And at your discretion, people are made great and given strength. Oh, our God, we thank you and praise your glorious name. But who am I? And who are my people that we could give anything to you? Everything we have has come from you. And we give you only what you first gave us. Now jump with me to verse 20. Then David said to the whole assembly, give praise to the Lord your God. And the entire assembly praised the Lord, the God of their ancestors. And they bowed low and they knelt before the Lord and the king. Here's the deal. David's life and his reign, they are coming to an end. And he sets this example for his son. He sets this example as leader and the still the most influential person in the kingdom by praising God and giving credit to God alone for all the provision that God has provided to his people. See, Solomon is about to, to set up uh, building the temple. And, and David wanted to have a hand in it. Like David wanted to do this for God. He wanted to be the one that built the temple because he wanted to promote God. And, and David's feeling guilty. He's like, God, you've put me in this palace over here, but your, your ark, your presence, you're in this tent. You need something grand. You need something magnificent. And David wanted to be the guy that did that. God was like, no, no, no. Somebody else is going to do that. And so to, for David to have a part in it, he, he started doing the, the fundraising, right? He, he, he started gathering all the materials that Solomon would need. And, and, and this is... This is where he is, like the materials are being gathered and, and things are about to happen. David is on his way out the door. And what does he do? He, he does not talk about his accomplishments. He does not talk about his victories. He does not talk about the things that have happened during his reign. He doesn't talk about the security that Israel has. He doesn't talk about the rise of power that, they've, have, that, that they have accomplished. He promotes by praising and giving credit to God and to God alone. And as king, David does not take any credit for himself. As David goes through the day-to-day -day operations of life, he is worried about God's fame. He is worried about the reputation of God in promoting God in all things, first and foremost. So that's the first thing that we can learn from David. The second thing, David is passionate, David is passionate about God's heart. You know, we, we know, all right, we've talked about this a lot for the last two weeks. We know the heart connection is a big deal to God. Your heart right now listening to this is the very thing that makes you part of the kingdom of God. And what's a kingdom? It's a territory that a king reigns. And Jesus wants your heart. He wants your lifeblood. Everything that you are is summarized in this thing called the heart. 
And that's what he wants. And even though God is the one who proclaimed David to be a man after his heart, David still prayed consistently. More than, he prayed several times that he would have purity of heart, that his heart would be like God's. We've pointed out, if you've missed it, David wasn't perfect. He, he had many sins. He had many moral failures just as a citizen, as a person. But David, when these things were pointed out, he sought repentance from his wrongdoings. And he prayed for restoration. He prayed that his heart would be clean. Check out Psalm 51, verses 10 through 12. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a royal, a loyal spirit within me. Do not banish me from your presence and don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and make me willing to obey you. David wants this pure or this clean heart. And I love this verse. I love this line of verse 12. Make me willing to be obedient. Like, God, just make me want to be obedient, right? Have you ever prayed that before? God, I, I want you to make me to want to be obedient to you. And here's the thing about this prayer that David wrote. This happens when David knows that God knows about all the moral failure in his life. This prayer comes after David has been confronted by by a friend, by Nathan. God used Nathan to say, go point out these things to David. Talk about the murder, talk about the lust, talk about the adultery. David knows these things. So he's fasted. He spent time repenting from the Lord of this. And now he comes before the Lord and he says, I, I want a clean heart because I, I want a pure heart because I know that's important to you, God. And he knows that this doesn't happen without obedience. So what this means then for David is that he cannot keep living the way he is currently living. He can't just keep going to the rooftop and checking out, you know, women bathing around him. He has to change the way he is living. And so changes have to be made. David wants it. He wants to be willing. He wants the desire to be obedient to God. And I love verse 11. Do not banish me from your presence. Because here's the truth. Church, if you're listening to this right now, God will not. He cannot be present if you are stuck in sin. If you are living in sin and, and you, you're sitting there breaking these Ten Commandments as David was breaking Ten Commandments or maybe there's just something that you keep going back to. God cannot and will not be present in that. David is convinced. He's convinced that he has to be obedient and he wants God's presence to be there. He longs for God's presence. He knows that he has to have the purity of heart. So we see this with David. As somebody that is after God's heart, he wants a clean heart himself. The third thing that David is passionate about is God's purpose. He's passionate about God's purpose. We see this all throughout his life. Um, 
Psalm 40, verse 8, David, David I, I take joy in doing your will, my God, for your instructions are written on my heart. Man, I, I take joy. I take joy in doing your will. You know, obedience to God was not some burden, some task for David. Whatever the will of God was, David took joy in doing so. And as a parent, I, I can give you example of example of my children being obedient to me, but it was not done with joy. It was some burdensome task that was just, oh, it can't get any worse than this. And that's how I am a lot of times with God. And here's the thing about David. It, it wasn't always pleasant. Waiting 20 years to take the throne when you've been anointed king. Hiding out in caves during this time period because Saul knows that you're, you're the next king. And so he figures if he kills you, then you can't become the next king. So you're hiding out in, in caves. You're serving Saul on different levels and different capacities. These are some of the things that David had to do as part of the will of God. He did these things with joy. You know, full transparency here. I, I don't always take joy in doing God's will. You know, when it, many things. Uh, but when it comes to making disciples who make disciples, which FYI, that, that, that's God's will for all of us. Man, this isn't always pleasant. This isn't always something that <clears throat> brings joy to my life. And I certainly don't do it with a joyful spirit. And I sometimes do this begrudgingly. As I sit here and I think through my generational impact, I, I see that this is certainly a area where I can improve. So as we talk about David's legacy and you think through your legacy, as we talk about the legacy of David and how we can have generational impact as he did. These are the things that David was passionate about. The, the generational impact that David had, church was not the result of some half-hearted, apathetic relationship with God. It was not about half-hearted effort with this relationship that he had with God. David was a man after God's own heart because of his passion. And he was passionate about God's fame. He was passionate about God's reputation, if you will. And he was passionate about God's heart and wanting a, a clean heart himself. And he was passionate about God's purpose. You live those three things out. You start focusing your relationship on those things. And God can use you to have an impact on generations to come. Until next week, see you.